Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, January 27th. I'm Nyla Boudin. Here's what you need to know today. The GOP courts Latino voters in Florida. But first, today's one big thing. How Justice Breyer's retirement will reshape the Supreme Court and this year's elections. News organizations are reporting that Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is planning to retire at the end of the current term. This gives President Biden his first chance to determine who's on the high court, and it's an opportunity to follow through on his campaign promise to appoint the first Black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. Here to explain what's next is Axios' resident SCOTUS expert, Sam Baker. Hey, Sam. Good morning, Nyla. Sam, I think the first thing we should start with is how does Breyer's leaving change the composition of the court, especially given how much recent conversation there's been about the politicization of the Supreme Court. His departure and assuming Biden is able to replace him with another liberal justice will not change the overall ideological makeup of the court. The two big effects here are, first of all, preventing it from getting any worse for Democrats, right? If they're able to fill the seat with someone who's younger than 83, uh, then odds are that they'll be there for a while. And so, you know, Democrats 6-3 minority is unlikely to become a 7-2 minority. And then the bigger changes will play out over the longer term. That's where some of the differences with Breyer's jurisprudence on, say, criminal justice, deference to law enforcement, those sorts of things really could come into play down the line. What do you think Breyer's legacy will be? I think his legacy will be workmanlike, for lack of a better word. He didn't get the chance to write very many big majority opinions. No liberals do. The biggest part of his legacy might be his retirement. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg left this incredibly long legacy as a pioneering, trailblazing female figure in the law. But her decision not to retire has ended up probably being, you know, the first bullet point in that legacy. And by making a different decision here, Breyer keeps that seat in liberal hands. And in the long run, that might be what people remember the most. So let's talk about who's being considered to replace him. What do we need to know about those folks? So the first thing you need to know is that this is very, very early and the list will get much, much, much longer and different people will be on and off. Uh, So with those caveats, the, the attention has focused early on two people, and Leandra Kruger, who is a justice on the California Supreme Court. Katani Brown-Jackson, who is a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, a very powerful court, she was confirmed to her current seat by a 53-vote majority in the Senate, which is a pretty strong argument in her favor now. Sam Maker is our resident Supreme Court expert for Axios Today. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Nyla. In 15 seconds, we're back with the political ramifications of Biden's Supreme Court pick. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. One of the biggest decisions we're awaiting from the Supreme Court this term is abortion. Justice Breyer's departure puts that question about reproductive rights into even sharper focus for the midterm elections. So I asked Axios' Sophia Kai, how will Breyer's departure affect campaigning for both parties? So the battle to confirm a new Supreme Court justice only brings more attention to the issue of abortion rights ahead of this year's midterms, and especially in swing states. 
If the court rolls back abortion rights, Democrats expect it to be an energizing issue that brings more voters out. If the court upholds Roe v. Wade, then Republicans are concerned that they'll lose a huge chunk of religious conservatives who voted Republicans in to overturn Roe. Wisconsin is one of several swing states where more restrictive abortion laws would automatically go into place if Roe were overturned. And yesterday, I spoke to one Senate Democratic candidate, Sarah Godlewski, who told me she's been to a pro-choice rally that's been cropping up in cities all over that don't usually organize around this issue. And so this is an example of a state where Democrats will really be depending on victories in state legislatures and gubernatorial races as a backstop. Sophia Kai covers politics for Axios. Yesterday, we reported from Miami about the Haitian-American community, in particular how activists are reacting to President Biden. Black and Latino voters across the country have been a key base for the Democratic Party. But in Miami, Latino voters helped Trump capture the entire state. In the last presidential election, Donald Trump won the majority of Latino voters' support in Miami-Dade County, about 54 percent. That's why this year, Republicans in South Florida are trying to translate that success to the midterms, even though the former president isn't on the ballot. A focal point of that strategy is the Republican National Committee's Hispanic Community Center in Doral. It's in a strip mall just two miles away from the former president's Doral Golf Club, in a city with a significant Venezuelan population. The RNC tells us it's meant to be more than a campaign office, with cultural events and space for the Venezuelan, Cuban, Colombian, and other Hispanic communities that make up about 70% of the county's entire population. There are eight of these centers for Hispanic voters across the country, and the RNC is also courting Black and AAPI voters with similar centers. RNC Communications Director Danielle Alvarez told us this isn't the first time they've opened community centers, but... It is the earliest we've ever opened community centers. In the midterm elections, um, there is a smaller electorate. Less voters do turn out than when we have a general election on a presidential year. And so we have to work extra hard. We have to go and have one-on-one conversations with our voters. We got to make sure that our voters turn out. Democrats didn't use that one-on-one strategy as much in South Florida during the last election cycle because of the pandemic. And for its part, the Democratic National Committee says it's starting its midterm efforts earlier this year, too, with more outreach, including a $20 million nationwide investment, part of which will go into combating misinformation campaigns that were part of GOP's success in South Florida in 2020. Lucas Acosta is the coalition's director and senior spokesperson for the DNC. The DNC is building a a new program to counter this disinformation, providing resources to our local state party partners to make sure that we are not only penetrating traditional media venues uh, like press as well as radio, but also these WhatsApp groups uh, where a lot of Latinos particularly are getting their news and information. But here's something important to keep in mind. What happens with Latino voters in Miami-Dade County doesn't track with the rest of the Latino population across the U.S. So Latinos uh, did support Biden in the presidential election, and the Biden administration has done many things to address some of the concerns of Latinos around economics, around jobs, but also around addressing COVID and some of the issues around schools as well. Mark Hugo Lopez is the director of Race and Ethnicity Research at Pew Research Center. 
But the story for Latinos in approval of Biden is also one where there has been some change over the course of the last year. It is down somewhat from some of the highs that we saw early on during the Biden uh, administration. I asked Mark, when it comes to the midterm elections, what should we be watching with Latino voters across the whole country? Latino voters are a group that's growing fast, and it's one that's becoming more and more young and also one that's becoming more U.S.-born. Those characteristics may shape how Latino voters vote in future elections. In 2018, by the way, many Latino voters voted for their Democratic uh, congressional candidate across the country, even though Trump had done better among Latino voters in 2016 than you had seen previously with Mitt Romney or John McCain. Will that be the same for 2022? I think it remains to be seen. It also remains to be seen how this is going to play out in Florida. With 28 House seats at stake, plus a Senate and governor's race, the state will stay a central piece of the GOP strategy in 2022. As we get deeper into this year, we're going to be bringing you more stories to help you understand what's at stake during these midterm elections, what's happening in states across the country, and how the major parties are trying to make their mark. If you want us to talk about what's going on where you live, text me at 202-918-4893. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. What Next is a daily podcast from Slate that helps you make sense of one news story in less than 30 minutes. When the world feels overwhelming, host Mary Harris is here to help you answer What Next. You can subscribe wherever you're listening right now.